We continue our survey of Luke and the God's message of salvation. You'd think it'd be easy to understand, but it's not. You're talking about people who are complicated, who make it complicated. You would think everyone would want to be saved, but some people don't even know they need to be saved. And so how can they appreciate what's being extended? But then you make the efforts, and then as you're making the efforts, the people that ought to be happy are often not happy. You might wonder why that is. So in Luke chapter 15, many people would know right out of the gate, if I said Luke 15, you automatically, if you're familiar with the scriptures, this is three parables of three lost things. Some people might think that this is given to teach the lost to come back. However, that's not the audience that he was talking to. Notice the reason why these parables were given. In verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. This is the context that prompted the Lord to give three illustrations to speak to people who were criticizing Jesus' reaching out to the lost. Let's recap some of the things that we've already talked about. In verse 1, when it says that the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, I have to ask myself, what is it about Jesus that made the tax collectors and the sinners draw to him? Not repel, but to draw to him. What made these people who were doing wrong, living a sinful life, what made those people want to come to Jesus? And then I have to ask myself, am I like Jesus? Are people who are living messed up lives drawn to me? And you, you ask yourself, do people who know they have messed up, do they feel some compelling reason to come to you? And if they were to come to you, what kind of reception would you give them? How would that person feel as they came to you? There's something about what Jesus was saying that I made the sinners realize they sinned and they need to change. But there's also a balance to that that makes the sinner also realize here's a safe place that they can come to to find someone that would welcome them in when they do repent. The Pharisees and scribes are the opposite here. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand 
what he, why he came. They don't understand his mission. They don't understand why is he doing what he's doing. So they grumble. And they complain. They're not happy that the sinners have repented and more sinners are coming in to the faith. You would think there would be some rejoicing. This is great. Look at what Jesus is accomplishing. That ought to be the response, but it's not the response of these people. And so, Jesus is also caring about these people who don't understand his mission. He's not writing them off either. But he's trying to teach them and encourage them to get on the same page. And it might help us to see also, Luke has been doing this all throughout his message about Jesus' life and his interactions with sinners, tax collectors, but also his interaction with Pharisees and scribes. I'd like to remind you that Levi was a tax collector that Jesus handpicked to be an apostle. I don't think that was by accident why he did that. Luke chapter 5. The tax collectors did not only were they drawn to Jesus, they were also drawn to John the Baptist in chapter 3. Now, do you get the impression that John the Baptist drew tax collectors and sinners because he was telling them it's okay to just stay sinning, keep, keep your sins, keep on doing what you, you're doing, don't change, just keep on sinning? Do you think that the tax collectors came to John the Baptist for that reason? Of course not. John the Baptist was preaching what? A baptism of repentance. He was drawing hearts. He was telling people they needed to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was telling people they needed to change. But why did the tax collectors feel drawn to come to him? When they do come to him, what should we do? Is what they asked. Something compelled them to say, I need to change something. And so they asked that question. But John the Baptist says, don't charge any more than you've given a, been given authority to charge. If you're going you're to collect money, don't collect any more than you're supposed to. That might be an unpopular message to give to tax collectors. Tax collectors might not want to hear that. They might want to hear something else. But he told them what they needed to hear, but yet they're still coming to him. Levi makes a feast. Guess what happens in chapter 5? He makes a feast, gathers all of his co-workers, people in the same line of work. And so what are they doing? They're, a bunch of tax collectors are gathered together, and there they are. They're in the same place. What did the Pharisees do? They grumbled. Jesus is eating with them. What we see in Luke chapter 7, Luke points out the tax collectors and the sinners are baptized by John, but the Pharisees and the scribes are, do not get baptized by John. 
Isn't that strange? Those who are supposed to already know the truth, claim to be following the truth, are actually rejecting the truth, while the, those who have messed up are changing and coming into the, what, what they need to do. They've, they've obeyed the commands that the religious are not obeying. In chapter 7, Jesus is accused of being a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. Now, i got to ask you this question. Was that a good accusation? Was that a fair accusation? Or was that a false accusation? I do not believe that Jesus drank. I do not believe that Jesus was a glutton. But why? Do you think that people accused him of doing that? I think they accused him of that. It was guilt by association. He's hanging around these people who have a shady past. He's hanging around these people who need the truth to know to repent. And there are some people, because they don't understand God's message, they're grumbling about it because these... Messy people are messing us up and tainting what we have because they don't understand the gospel message. You know what we complain about says a lot about us. What do I complain about? What do you complain about? Are you complaining that we get visitors are you complaining that somebody is listening to the gospel? Are you complaining that somebody is having a Bible study? Are you complaining? Those are things you ought to be excited about. Those are things you ought to help and get on board with. What we complain about says a lot about us. And so I, I, I think Jesus gives a... First parable here about a sheep. Notice how he words it. Verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? The way this question is posed is what if this was your sheep? That's your property. What is the value of that sheep to you? And what extent would you go to find the one sheep? Would you say, oh, I've got 99 others. No big deal. Glad I got the other 99. It's just one. What value do you place on the one? And what extent would you go to go get and retrieve that sheep that was lost? Whole different ball game whenever you start saying put yourself in the one who has the prized possession that's lost. And really what he's saying is think about this from God's perspective. 
He is the creator of all. It is his people. And there are some of his people who are lost. How does he feel? How does he care about those that are lost? What does he do? What will he spend? What time and energy and effort would he make to go retrieve those that are his that are lost, that he wants back? If it was us, and we try to put ourselves in God's shoes just a bit and understand from his perspective what that sheep means to him has a whole different meaning to help us understand what he's saying. But what's the reaction in verse 5 of any of them if they were to have this sheep that is lost but finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. What's happening in heaven? What's heaven's point of view? Heaven's point of view is love, care, and concern for the one that is lost, that is returning. That better be my aim, my goal, or I'm not with the Lord. Sometimes we have certain things that we think are important. Like Peter, you remember when Peter did not think Jesus ought to die? And I think his intentions were good when Jesus told him he was going to die. And Jesus says, no, this can't happen. But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Why did he say that? Because he's not on the same page. He does not understand. They are not one heart at that point. He does not understand why Jesus came. And if he gets in the way, he might mean well, he might mean that he doesn't want Jesus to die. That sounds like good intentions there. But to prevent him from accomplishing his mission of dying for our sins, he's not going to let anyone or anything or anything that is said or any sympathy played upon him to cause him to want to lose sight of that focus. Are we on the same focus as the Lord? Is that my aim, that my mission, that I care about a lost sheep being found? And if all we, we, like sheep, have gone astray, this ought to give me comfort that if I'm ever a lost sheep, that if I'm ever gone astray from God, he's going to seek me. He's going to find me. He's going to draw me. I ought to feel loved and know that he's, he wants 
wants me to be right with him. And if someone else is on the verge of being found, my aim ought to be the same kind of rejoicing that I want for myself and my own soul. And so he, he leaves the idea of sheep and he goes to talking about money. Money, some of us can understand. When we're talking about our money, that, that one might get us in the fields there. But verse 8, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Heaven's perspective is joy and rejoicing that a sinner's come home. Sadly, it's not earth's perspective. Even more sadly, it's not always the perspective of those who claim to be following God. But it ought to be. How valuable is the money? This particular one. She doesn't say, oh, I've got nine more. She doesn't say, oh, it's, it's only money. <laughs> just, just money. Forget it. No. She is going to search, but she's on a mission. She's not just going to seek just a little, oh, I looked a little here, I looked a little there, couldn't find it, oh, well. No. She is going to seek until she finds it. She is bent on getting that back. And then when she does, she's excited. You ever found $20 in, a old, uh, in your closet? You, you know, th there it is. Pull it out. We love that. That's awesome. That I found money. I didn't even know I lost. But what about the stuff we knew we lost? I need that back. Do we know what a person means to God? Do we know how much... We get, a, we get an idea of what Jesus is doing right now in this passage, but we get an idea as we continue and see what he does do to the extent of giving his own life and then we have another example that surely many of us can understand. What if it was our child? Any parent who has had a child that is astray would know the grief and the pain and the hurt, the sleepless nights, the prayers, and the yearning to want to know that their child is back in the fold and is back with God. 
But in this parable, the Father is our Father in heaven. He's the father of two children. Well, who are each children? It's obvious that the child that wants to leave and goes astray are the sinners, the tax collectors that Jesus has been eating with, that the Pharisees are grumbling and complaining about. The older son who remained in the household, who remained responsible, who, was, who kept working, never took his dad's money and went and squandered it like the other one did, that's the Pharisee and the scribe who is now complaining about what Jesus is doing. And so this parable is designed to prick the Pharisee's heart and the scribe's heart. And our heart, if we have that kind of a tendency. And so in verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. I might stop there and just ask, who does not know that the attitude of the younger child here is completely and utterly wrong? We all know this. We all, we all know it. It's, it's got to be hurtful to a father. I mean, when, when did they normally give the inheritance? After the father's dead. But the child wants the money now. Now, how do you think that's going to make the father feel? And he doesn't say... Can I have the money now and share it with you? And so we can be, so I can continue to help you. No. What's he want to do? He wants to go off. Why does he want to go off? Perhaps he knows that the father has some standards. Perhaps he knows that the father has certain things that he does in his household and he knows he's not going to get away with what he wants to do with this money at his father's house. He knows his not, father's never going to put up with that. There's a reason why he wants to go off. Right? But I am amazed in this example how the father gives it to him. Probably knowing what he's going to do. And I scratch my head a little bit and I, I wonder... Is that what we generally think we ought to do? If I, if I knew my child wanted that and I, and, and I knew what they were going to do with it, would I knowingly give it to them and give them the chance, knowing the end of the thing, and yet Jesus is teaching us a little bit here about the Father's character that he lets us make choices. When sometimes we might, we might be, stop them, make them behave, make, make, don't, don't let this happen. You can see where this is headed, but yet the father gives them the money, lets them make the choice. It's going to let him learn. Maybe the father knew this in this example. Sometimes they got to make their choice and learn. Now, when to do that as a parent, I have, you know, that's, that's a judgment call. It takes wisdom to know. 
when do you prevent your child from doing something that's unsafe for them when they're little? They're, they're obviously sometimes where you stop them from messing up. But then as they get older, there's, there's a timing in things to let them little by little and when that is. But the father would know that. But this father chose to give it to him. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Now so far, we see that sometimes people may have a desire for things that are wrong. Sometimes the world has a pull on a person. Sometimes there are temptations that look curious it's the appeal of the flesh. And sometimes we know the right thing to do and we know this is wrong and, and we've made choices. And then what we see is it doesn't pay. It might look appealing. It might look like it's going to give pleasure. It might look like it'd be fun. But if God says don't do it, if it's wrong, look at the end result of this kind of thing. He had his fun for a while, but the fun ran out, and the funds ran out. And the friends that he did it with, I'm sure they loved him while he was paying. But once the paying stopped, where'd his friends go? And now no man gave to him. Then verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants? Of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. No doubt his attitude, he's he's hit rock bottom. He's hit the result of the kind of living he's been involved in. And now he's hungry. Now, at what point does he tuck tail and decide, I'll swallow my own pride, regardless of all the shame, and I know, what's it going to be like if I go home? And yet, at this point, pride's out the window. It, it, you know, that's, it's past the point because he is hungry, he can't eat, and nobody's given to him. And if a Jew in this culture would eat what pigs eat, not only would that be degrading, that would also be unclean, which he's been involved in some unclean things already, even more than ceremonially. I think he's past the point of thinking about his own pride and dignity to reach the point where he says, I will surrender my will. I'm not asking. I'm not, he doesn't come in barging into the Father. He's not demanding. He doesn't act like 
the father owes him even more now. That's not his mentality, but his mentality is of that of humility and repentance. He recognizes he does not deserve what he needs. But he is now a beggar in this position. This is the way any sinner who comes to the right realization that they are wrong before God ought to feel. Not just sorry, but sorry and ready to change. Sorry and ready to come fully back to the Father. Notice his attitude isn't, Hey, Dad, I'm sorry. Can I have my room back? No. He, what does he do? Verse 20. He arose, he came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. As a father... Do you think the father is saying, oh, there he is? Is that, is that the response? Oh, now he comes back, crying to, to me now. Is that the mentality? Is his attitude, you wasted my money? Is his attitude bringing up the hurt of how the father felt this is the money that he worked hard for and now he, his son has wasted because he didn't care about him. Might be tempting for some to do that. But not this father. Forget all that. Does the father know the, whether the child is... Is he really sorry this time? Is he really going to do it the right way this time? No. No. As soon as he sees his son, at the moment he sees him, he runs because he has compassion. That's his boy. And he kisses him. Verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Look at what my boy did. That, that's not, that is not how the story goes. The father tells his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and he began to be merry. Why did the father do that? Why did he want to put a robe on him when the son is probably not very clean and the son is probably not looking like what a father would really like to see his boy looking like? But the father wants to cover the shame. He doesn't want him to be embarrassed. He does not want this son to be seen in that predicament. He puts a ring on his hand. He puts shoes on his feet. It kind of tells me 
He didn't have those things, right? I mean, that's kind of obvious. And what does he do? He doesn't just say, here, give him some oatmeal. He, he doesn't just say, here, give, give him, you know, the first thing in the cabinet. He, he makes it big. He makes it a celebration. He is so happy. And then there's a problem. You would think everyone would be happy, but it's not that way. Verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The brother was angry. The brother was not thinking, this is my brother. The brother says, your son. And he's pretty self-righteous here. Now, I have to kind of understand, suppose you're the brother that's been there. You stayed while the other one left. You're working. You're not getting to squander the money like the other brother is. But you, you see that. Would there be a temptation? Are we like that a little bit? Am I like that a little bit? Where I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I'm, I'm doing this. They're not. Are you just going to let that go? Are you just not even going to talk about what he actually did with all of that money? We're not even going to discuss all of that? No, he brings it up. I think the brother had a fair idea what he was doing with the money when he brought that up. But it seems like the brother doesn't really know that his younger brother has reached the point that he has. He's not recognizing that. He's not recognizing all that he went through. It appears he doesn't, re he's not really understanding that the brother went through some hunger and he went some hard times. Now he's, he's paid for his sins quite a bit. He's not recognizing that. Probably doesn't have a good understanding of what that was like. But he's so focused on himself. I didn't get a kid. Does he feel like the brother is getting rewarded for his behavior of wasting the money? 
Seems like that's the accusation. But that's not why he's rewarded. To think like that is, is not thinking like Jesus. And that's why this parable is here. To teach us... Be careful not to have the attitude of this older brother. But yet, the Lord, the Father, still cares about the older brother. He's still trying to teach the older brother too. He loves the older brother too. Even though the older brother has a pretty stinking attitude here too. But he says, it was meat that we should be marrying. I hope that we understand from God's perspective the things that we care about, the things that we are seeking. When, when, when that father covered the shame of the son, he was not in any way, any way possible saying it was okay to waste the money. He was not in any way saying it was okay to leave and to live sinfully. He was not in any way condoning the kind of living that the son went and did. Not at all. And anybody that would, would accuse the father of doing that did not understand the father. Anybody that would accuse Jesus of condoning what the sinners were doing and the tax collectors are doing don't understand Jesus because that is not what he was doing at all. But yet, that was the accusation that they were making about Jesus. Anybody that really understood Jesus knew that he was teaching faithfulness and he was teaching to obey him. But whenever you have disobeyed, there's, a, there's an avenue. That no matter how bad you've messed up, and this is what I tell my kids, I, I don't want you to mess up. I don't want you to do certain things. But if you do, no matter how bad it is, I want you to feel like you can come and talk to me about it. I would rather be able to help you. I might be disappointed. I might be upset, depending on what you did. But I would rather you come talk to me about it so we can find healing and try to help you with it. This is our Father in heaven. But even on a greater scale than any of us earthly fathers who are human, our Father in heaven's love is there ready to accept any and all who will leave their sins behind, make the kind of confession and repentance that this son did. He's ready to repent and, and the Father's ready to receive him and not treat him like what he once did. That's forgotten. But treat him just like it's always been and love him and welcome him and be glad that the son is home. Don't you, don't, don't you find comfort that we have a God that is ready to receive you when you've messed up? And don't you find comfort that we can help others let us be more like Jesus here and less like the older brother. In John, he says, I write to you that you sin not, but if you sin, you have an advocate 
The encouragement is do your best. Don't, don't sin. Live faithfully. But if you do mess up, you haven't messed up so badly. Now, there may be consequences. That money's gone of that younger brother. You can't just like magically you know, have that money back. It's already gone. There's consequences. But the forgiveness is there. And he's not, he's not keeping that over his head. Our God doesn't forgive like that. He forgives and he forgets. And so should we. If you are not right with God, be right with God. Our fathers, like this father on this front porch waiting for you to come home so he could run to you. He's just waiting on you to make that choice. He's not going to make you, but it's your choice. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that he died for your sins and you're ready to put all of the things that you've been doing selfishly and you're willing to put that behind and you're willing to live righteously by his standard, be baptized and have your sins washed away and then live faithfully. But when you live faithfully, don't get a self-righteous attitude. And don't, don't start having, being holier than thou and looking down on other people who are coming into the faith. And have the mindset of the Lord who's ready to go seek them yourself and be ready to rejoice and help them and be patient and wise as you're helping them grow as they come back in. Whatever your need is, won't you come?